friends, welcome to season two, episode four of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. Okay, guys, I am so excited about this episode because this woman uh, is honestly a dream guest of mine. If you follow me on social media, you already know this because I have been fangirling over the idea of getting to talk with her ever since her assistant emailed me back about the possibility of getting her on the show. So yes, today I am talking with Heather Avis. If you don't already know Heather, you should, and you are going to absolutely love her and her work after hearing this conversation. Heather is a writer, social media influencer, and as she puts it, shouter of worth. I love that so much. She and her husband, Josh, live in California with their three kiddos, all of whom are adopted, Mason, Truly, and August. Both Mason and August have Down syndrome and Truly is Guatemalan and African-American, while the rest of the Avis family is white. And trust me, yes, Heather and I absolutely talk about raising kids with different abilities and also raising kids who are a different ethnicity than you are. Heather has written two books. Her first is called The Lucky Few, Finding God's Best in the Most Unlikely Places, which chronicles her journey with Josh through infertility and then the adoption of their three children and really embracing this life she never thought she wanted as both an adoptive mom and a mom of kids who live on the fringes of their communities. Her second book, which just came out this year, is called Scoot Over and Make Some Room, creating a space where everyone belongs. So, of course, it makes sense that we had to have her on the Making Room on the Pew podcast. Now, in this book, she does she talks about some hard stuff, guys. She talks about white privilege, about adoption, about adopting kids who are a different ethnicity than you are. Um, it's 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 hard, um, but it's amazing, and she is absolutely the best teacher uh, to be teaching you. If you are feeling uh, defensive or confused about some of these topics, um, so yeah, we're gonna talk about all of that here today too. So um, I know they're hard topics, guys, but honestly, Heather has so much wisdom to give us. So stick around. Stay with us. I promise you will not regret it. So without further ado, let's get over to my conversation with Heather Avis. Hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm just, um, I'm so thankful that you were able to talk to us today. Um, I do have to ask though, are you still in Maui? Are you on vacation right now? So I am in Maui, but it's not totally vacation. Um, we are working from here. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. So I scheduled things purposefully. I mean, we're, we work, we're self-employed. So we're here for 24 days <clears throat> and we can't really vacation for 24 days. Gotcha. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because I saw on Instagram that you were still there. Like when we scheduled this, I thought, okay, well maybe like she'll be home by then. And then oh, I saw right. yesterday you were still there and I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. But, um, well, good. Gosh. Well, thank you so much um, yeah, for being pleasure. here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking the other day about how I first found you 
Um, and I actually found you by your first book, um, mm. The Lucky Few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we actually began the adoption process this past February. Oh, and okay. so, yeah. So that month between like the holiday chaos and actually like officially beginning the process, I was just craving stories. Like I just needed mm-hmm. someone who had like gone before and actually survived this process. <laughs> um, and who just like was going to be willing to share it all. And I think that I just honestly like Googled like adoption books or books about adoption or something like that. And the lucky few popped up and I downloaded it on audible. Um, and it just, I mean, like changed everything. I honestly think oh that I've listened to it maybe like once a month over the past oh my gosh. And it's like, It is ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Which is hilarious. Excuse me. <clears throat> I, um, I'm a little froggy because it's seven o'clock in Hawaii AM. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and which is great. Cause in Cal, we try to stay, well, we, we like to adjust to the time zones that we're in, but we try to use it to our advantage when it's a different time zone. So we're up at, my husband and I have been taking turns every other day, getting up between like five and five 30 and going for a walk with the sunrise. Cause that's eight 30 in California. So it's great. Anyway, I sound froggy, but, um, I love that you have just heard my voice. I haven't listened to my auto, my audiobooks back. I guess I should. <laughs> it's a lot of my voice. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love yeah. it though. I yeah. I so appreciate when authors actually do the audiobook. Like instead of having someone else read it. Like oh, I don't know, yeah. there's just there's something about hearing you tell your story instead of mm-hmm. someone else telling your story. Yeah. I feel the same way and when they gave me the option for someone else to do it. I'm like, no way. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. So for our listeners who maybe don't know you yet, who haven't read your books or connected with you on Instagram, can you just kind of give them a little introduction about yourself, your family, your business that you and your husband run and your work just towards inclusion in those spaces? Yeah, definitely. So my husband and I actually tomorrow will celebrate 17 years of marriage, which is crazy. Wow. I know. Um, we got, I was 20 years old when we got married, so you can do the math. And, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I would never advise a 20-year-old to get married, <laughs> but it was great. It's been great. So I'm super thankful that we grew together because when you're 20, he was 23, there's a lot of growing that needs to happen. Um, I think always in life, there's a lot of growing that needs to happen, but especially in those formative years. So we luckily grew together um, about four years into our marriage, decided to start a family and couldn't have kids naturally. It's a long story, but um, found out that I wasn't able to get pregnant. And so we started the next best thing for us, which was adoption. Um, and over the years in our adoption journeys, have realized that adoption isn't the next best thing. It can actually be the first best thing, but we had to learn that um, in our own way. And so we've adopted three kids and our oldest, her name is Mason. She's 11 and she has Down syndrome. Our middle daughter is Truly. She is eight and she is African-American and Guatemalan. Uh, My husband and I are both Caucasian. And then our son, August, is five and he also has Down syndrome. Um, All three of them are from California where we're from and all three of them um, 
were born, we brought them home as babies. So our middle daughter was almost six months old. She was the oldest one. The other two were younger than that when they came home. And becoming a mom to kids who find themselves in the margins um, and find themselves living in a world where systems and play don't work in their favor. Um, it took, it didn't take me long to realize that there was a lot of injustices happening for them in our world and how unfair that is for them. <clears throat> but also realizing how much better my life was because I've been given this opportunity to do life with people who are different than me, both as their mom, so really in a super intimate space, but also because having kids in the categories that I have my kids in, we are in those communities as well. Um, and it was just such a gift and I began to see God more fully. And so, um, when Instagram came around, we started an account and I started just using the phrase, the lucky few. There are a few of us who have a child with Down syndrome and those of us who do are very lucky and it kind of caught on and it's, it is a phrase that is very closely linked to the Down syndrome community. And it's also the name of our business. So my husband and I now run a business together called the lucky few. And our goal is to shift the narrative and create a more inclusive world. Um, and specifically shift the Down syndrome narrative, but just shift the narrative about doing the fact that people are striving so hard to live these perfect, easy lives around people who look like them, but there's a lot of emptiness there. And there's definitely a lack of knowing the fullness of God. So, excuse me. <clears throat> so just that we can encourage others, mostly through storytelling, um, we can encourage others to open up their horizon and to encourage them to do life with people who are different than them in an intentional manner. And in doing so, they'll, they'll have a fuller life. We'll see systems hopefully change for our kiddos. Um, that's kind of in a nutshell that you this is. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love um, to, like, I know that you, um, at first when you began doing this work of inclusion, it was so focused on the Down syndrome community. And of course it, it still is now as well, but, um, um, the way you are able to talk, like, it feels like you are including anybody who's different, even though Down syndrome may be your, uh, focus, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like just when you talk, it's just anybody who is different, anyone who feels like they don't have room um, yeah. to be themselves. Um, yeah, I, I love that a lot. Yeah, um, thanks. I feel like what I've learned over the years, and you know, I've only been into this parenting gig for 11 years, and I've only been in the Down syndrome world in the sense that I am for that amount of time. Um, and even in like pursuing um, understanding racial injustice, it's been even less. So I have a lot to learn. But over the years, what I've what I have found is that um, Jesus is the ultimate includer. No one is excluded. And so it's not that it, it doesn't matter what, what the world or what you even as your own self, how you identify, like you, it's done, you know, Jesus has included you. And so for me to say, well, I'm only going to fight for people with Down syndrome because this other group of people are not worth fighting for or whatever, not even fighting it's like, no, yeah. every human being is born in the image of God and everybody gets to be a part of this, you know? And, and, it, and if I'm going to say that, that people with Down syndrome, people with different abilities need to be given an equitable space in the world, 
then I'm going to say that for fill in the blank, you know, like for any, any group of people. And, and I really feel like God has um, kind of done an unfolding in my heart in that regard over the years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so good. Jesus is the ultimate includer. I feel mm-hmm. like we could just, we could be done. <laughs> now. And do you know who actually oh. says that? I'm not going to take credit. Um, R- Richard Rohr, the, our beautiful father, Richard Rohr talks really? a lot about Jesus being the ultimate includer. That's his language. Um, and I love it. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. I, I need to read more of Richard Rohr. I like everybody tells me they're like, Bailey, your, your like faith expression or your spirituality, like you need to read Richard Rohr. And I still haven't, but that may have been. <laughs> and you know what? He had a book come out recently. And so if you, um, if you're not able to read right away, but you have time to listen to a podcast, just Google his name. And he's been interviewed on a lot of great podcasts and okay. to listen to his interview, it, it kind of gives you the fullness of his, yeah, of his faith expression. Um, everybody needs rich, more Richard Rohr in their life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your first book, The Lucky Few, it was really um, about your adoption journey, right? So mm-hmm. your new book that just came out, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, I feel like is more instructive, or at least that's how I took it. Um, yeah. You you talk a lot more about race in this book, and you really push readers to consider their own privilege and how they can use their privilege to make room for those who don't have the room that they need or deserve. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you decided to write that second book. I mean, like what, what's the story there? How did you get to that second one? Yeah. So my first book is a memoir and I like the listeners, I just give them a quick brief story or family background. So um, the lucky few is going to dive deeply into all those each adoption story and into infertility and into relationships with birth parents and all those things. And the luck or Scoot Over Make Some Room is more of a manifesto. So I like that you said it feels like it's instructive. I, I like to say it's a little bit bossy because um, <laughs> the title is bossy and then each title, chapter title is an, instruct, an instructive. So I, yeah, I found myself um, by God's grace, really, and I'm so thankful, just really pushed into this role of advocacy. And I'm super thankful for that. And with that is a lot of responsibility. And then also realizing that people are listening to me. I don't know how long that's going to happen, but I have the ears of thousands and that is very humbling. Um, And I want to steward that well. So I wrote this book and I wrote it for my kids and I wrote it for the marginalized and the disenfranchised. And I wrote it for all of us really. Like I wrote it for the me's, for the privileged people in this world who are completely missing out on the fullness of God and missing out on how good humanity is because of choosing to do life in a homogenous way. Um, so yeah, that's what the book is. It's, it's stories. It's me just telling stories. I don't claim to know everything, but I believe that there's a lot of power in telling stories um, in storytelling and I just want to share with the world, hey, this is our experience in schools. This is our experience in churches. This is our experience in dance studios because my kids are different and 
this is my experience raising kids who are different and intentionally being in different communities. I am a better human being for it. So there's the two, it's two prong. Um, people who are different deserve all the same rights and all the same privileges of those who are not and, or, or of people, everyone's different, but of those who are quote unquote no, normal or fit nicely into the molds the systems have created for us. Um, and and there's injustices being done to our right and our left because people are still totally disadvantaged because of the color of their skin or because of their abilities or because of their sexual orientation or whatever it might be. There's still told disadvantages that exist because of systems in play. Um, but also we are so much better off as human beings, as humanity, as a collective, when we are intentional about doing life with people who are different than us and learning from those who are different than us. So it's my hope that every person reads it <laughs> and then steps into a relationship with someone who is different in some sort of way to listen and learn from that person and become a better person for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm wondering, did you have like a particular person or group of people that you were writing this book for? Like, I, I mean, so I kind of got the feeling when you were, I listened to this one on Audible too. So when you were um, <laughs> telling me all of these stories, I just kept thinking, I mean, I also am like a fairly privileged white woman and ev like just with every story you told I just felt like you were so gently and so kindly saying okay so look at this and this is mm -hmm. how you know you're privileged and this is how um this is how people who maybe don't who are not white mm -hmm. women in this world yeah. are experiencing um, things. So were you writing it particularly for anybody or is that just me projecting? <laughs> no, I, that's, that, that's accurate. Um, I mean, I actually had a couple of people in my mind who are dear friends who are like, have a goal, who are white, who are wealthy, who are college educated, who are doing a being very working very hard to make sure that their children are raised in a bubble essentially um and i i had those people in my mind as i wrote this book um and i had i like i really think that the people who will benefit the most from this book are white privileged people i think women i just tend to write towards women i think men can benefit from this book too but um and i'm writing to moms so i feel like that if I'm going to get real specific on the audience, um, I think I am writing a letter, I'm writing a book to really to white moms, privileged yeah. moms who are raising kids, who we have a responsibility to raise good humans. And we're, and if we continue to strive for perfection and strive for safety and strive for comfort, um, and push our kids into the molds and wrap bubbles around them, um, then we're doing them a disservice. We're doing ourselves a disservice. And so I'm glad that you saw that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when you read it. Um, but <laughs> yes. I also know that we live in, that, that everybody, almost everybody who has access to this book um, has someone that's behind them 
meaning mm-hmm. like there's someone that they can also scoot over, you know, but I'm also yeah. not putting this book in the hands of, you know, a person with a disability or a person of color and saying, now you need to do the hard work of scooting over because that's all that they've been doing their whole lives is scooting over in systems that demand that of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so like I, we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, in the second book, you write a lot more about race, um, which I think, I mean, it's so necessary, so important for where our country is right now. Um, can we talk a little bit about being a white mom of a kid of color? Yeah, let's talk about um, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I've been thinking a lot about, I mean, how possible it is that my family also may very well be matched with children of color, mm-hmm. whereas we are white. And it feels hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, I mean, I guess your, your experience, um, if, if there's any, uh, anything that you've learned in these, what, eight years of being mm-hmm. Truly's mom that you would give to those of us who maybe are white moms to kids yeah. of color or um, may potentially be one day? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've learned a lot. I've learned so much and I have so much to learn. And I would say this, I have, I have some hard things I've learned that I think are truths, but I'm still learning. Um, it is in terms of adoption, um, in an ideal, well, in an ideal world, there'd be no adoption because everyone would be able to parent their child. And, mm-hmm. you know, every, people need to realize that adoption only ever starts from a tragedy. There's no way that it can start any other way. It starts from brokenness and that's heavy, you know, and there's a lot of people yeah. involved in that brokenness and the brokenness will follow those people throughout their lifetime. Everything can be redeemed. Everything can be made new, but that's just the foundation of an adoption. And so um, going into adoption to really understand that it's heavy and that's okay. You know? So, so if you're going to adopt though, it's always, it is best. And I think in the United States, especially for kids to be adopted within their race. Mm-hmm. Um, I know not everyone agrees with this and you know, again, in an ideal world, it's best for kids in other countries to stay within their country. But we also know that that's not op- an option all the time. Uh, but we've got to be super careful when we approach international adoption um, and make sure that all in-country options are being looked at. I'm going, I'm going real deep here, girl. Um, yes, <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> um, so these are, and these are things that 10 years ago when I started the adoption process, I didn't think about. Um, yeah. And so, so if you are like you, there was a time when it was like, and people I hear say things like this still, you know, like a white couple, it's like, it'd be so great to adopt a little black baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And it actually is really hard. And it's really hard for that kid for their whole life. And it doesn't mean don't do it. You know, it doesn't mean feel guilty about that, but step into it with the right posture, with the right education, with the right understanding. Um, Because it is always best for kids to stay within their own race for a lot of reasons. And you can do some research on that. People who are listening that are like, what? That's a weird idea. Um, There's a lot of things out there that can help you understand that better. But 
that's not always the case, right? I have a little girl who is black and I am white. And so that means then if you're going to adopt outside of your race, which is a fine thing to do because it, it has to happen in order for adoptions to happen. Um, and I know that sounds contradictory to what I said, but it's like we're in this, it's like a weird catch 22 kind of thing. So you have to be super intentional to make sure that you're raising your child around people who look like them, um, that you're celebrating diversity and that you're not pretending like every, like you're not raising a, a child of color to be white. And yeah. it's inevitable for Truly. Truly is going to step into black communities and she's going to be too white. You know, she's going to step mm -hmm. into white communities. She's going to be too black. Um, it's, it's a real tricky, hard thing, but we've got to be aware. So for me, it means following people on social media who are at the front lines of these conversations who are saying things that are really hard for me to hear as a white person. Um, people of color who are saying things that are hard for me to hear as a white person. It's learning about what white privilege is and how that benefits me and how that um, disadvantages my daughter. It's learning about and trying to understand white savior complex. Um, like all of these things that were far from my thoughts until they couldn't no longer be far from my thoughts and that are hard to hear and hard to understand and hard to wrap my mind around and make me feel uncomfortable. And I'd rather avoid it, you know, <laughs> but um, it's my responsibility, I believe, if I'm raising a child who's a different race than me, to understand what our society and the systems in play communicate about that race. Um, and then to be intentional in making sure that my child is around as many people who look like her as possible. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, Heather, are you an, an Enneagram person? Oh my gosh, I am. And I know what you're going to say, but I'm, well, I think I know. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, were, were you going to, um, were, did you think I was going to accuse you, were gonna, you, were gonna type you me. of being an, an eight? Yeah. Yes. Is that what you thought? Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> I wasn't going to, but um, um, I, I can imagine that people have probably tried to type you as an eight. Are you an eight? I'm not an eight. No. No. I'm not. Yes, I've been, I, people have tried to type me as an eight and I don't mind, I don't mind. I think, I know that eights can be, um, well, they're challengers, <laughs> yeah. but um, I think eights are awesome. I think all the numbers are awesome, but yeah. I'm a what? two. You're I'm a two. two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. That makes but sense two, too. Yeah. Two swing to eight in stress. And I think yeah. I've chosen a career, I've chosen a career and that pushes me into that space often. So then I get, I get diagnosed or um, typed as an eight. Yeah. But I've done a lot of research on it and I, um, I'm definitely not an eight. Oh, that's so funny. Um, no, I was, I was going to say, because you said I'm going, like, I'm, I'm going deep and I'm an Enneagram four. So I thought okay. like, you can go as deep as you want and I will come <laughs> with you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I just um, feel like a lot of what I said, it brings, it, it stirs things up and then it's like, this is a short conversation, you know? And yeah. so I think that I've been doing years now of, of work in this space and I've barely scratched the surface and I will, I will, um, have conversation. I'll, I'll do something. I'll put something out in the world and I'll, and then I'll ask some of my friends who are people of color who are gentle and gracious and kind enough to continue to mentor me in this space. And 
and they'll be like, yeah, and show me my blind spots. And I'll yeah. think after all these years, I still have these blinders on. Like, it's so hard. It's so hard. And I want out and I quit. Like, I feel that way all the time. So it's just, it, it's big things, big conversations that take a lot of energy and a lot of um, intentionality and a lot of learning. And it's really hard, but super necessary, you know? So I encourage people to step into it. Um, and if you are a white person and your knee-jerk reaction to anything that I've said is defensiveness, then just step into it as a listener and a learner and just sit yeah. and listen and learn and feel and let those nasty feelings bubble up inside you and um, continue to learn and continue to listen and continue to learn and listen. And yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I, um, I really appreciate all that you said about adoption and about how it starts with tragedy and about how kids should be able to stay in their culture and in their countries. Um, I do, I mean, I have said that also, and people have looked at me like, I cannot believe you just said that. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I was a social work major in school. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Um, and so I worked in foster care and I saw all, all of the problems that can happen with, like you were saying, the white savior complex, the yeah. people who want to take a kid who ha is their own person with their own culture and try to like assimilate them into yeah. their own. So um, yeah, I appreciate all that you, you said about that. Um, yeah. So I am wondering when I am in big writing seasons, I just, uh, seem to learn so much more than when I'm not writing as mm -hmm. often or as intensively. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm just, I'm wondering if that's true for you and if so, what have you learned um, particularly about God through the living out and then the writing of this second book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room? Yeah. Um, I, so I feel like it all came down to just one, one major truth that I say over and over again. Um, and it was something I knew, but as I fleshed it out and, writing and I'm an external processor too. So I get a lot out, like in my first draft, it's just like word vomit, you know, it's just like thousands of words and blit to get it all on paper before we refine it. But in that process, and again, I feel like I've said this, um, to really understand the fullness of God, we have to know all of the people that are created in his image. And it's, it seems like a simple idea but we, we, and I, when I say we, I'm going to say like the big C church. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. The big C church. Okay. Mm -hmm. And probably your followers or your listeners understand that like the collective church. Um, yes. Mostly Western United States, big C church. We've just spent a lot of time um, pointing out the ways that people and places and things are wrong. Like a lot of shame happening. And to really step back and say, um, to recognize like, oh, but, but all of these people 
are created in the image of God. Um, and so that means something. And, and how do we embrace people exactly as they are and see the image of God in that person? And I think that we've been um, trained, maybe is the word, to see a certain kind of person as more godly than another kind of person solely based on looks um, yeah. and ability. And, and I just worry for the church, the Big C Church as a whole, because we continue to foster that idea even just by how people are represented. Um, and so I feel really grateful that I got that I get to raise my kids and that I've been put into spaces I otherwise would have avoided. Um, and through this book, realizing that God's taught me so much about the, his, the fullness of his heart um, and to, to see more fully the heart of God is, a, is amazing. It's a real honor. And that this book really, really showed me that and we're missing it. We're missing it unless we are intentional about being in relationships with people who are different than us. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I totally got that through the book. I did. I think you did such a good job of showing that. Yeah. And, um, uh, challenging the rest of us to also find that truth too. Um, okay. So this is the last question that I ask everybody on the podcast, but um, I kind of tailor it for each, okay. uh, each guest here. So, um, this podcast is called making room on the pew and it's all about making room in the church for all people. Mm-hmm. How, how can we all, like you were talking about big collective church, mm-hmm. how can we all begin to make room in our own communities for people of color and for people with different abilities? Um, I'm going to speak more if it's okay, just for people with different abilities. Yeah. Because I think the conversation about the church and people of color, I'm going to let people of color talk about that. Um, I love that. If that's okay. And people with disabilities can talk about it themselves too, but I'm going to speak more from that, from that space. So, um, you got to see who's missing in your church. And I don't care if you've got 20 people or 20,000, um, looking around, look around. And if there are not people with disabilities in your church, then that's a problem. (laughs) Um, and for sure they're in your communities and it's time to, to change that. And who, who is being represented in your church? Who is, who are your leaders? Who is on the stage? Who is on your staff? Who is in your volunteer group? And if those people don't represent some kind of diversity, um, and if those people are not people who have different abilities, then, then you're, there's a gap. There's a big gap and a big void in your church and you're, and you're missing out on the fullness of God and the heart of God. And so um, to be intentional in that, to bring people into your church, have people on your stages who can talk about disability, people on your stages who have disabilities, um, to, train, to make it a requirement that there's a staff training however often for all volunteers and all staff on this is how we include people with different abilities. And if you don't know how to do that, then ask someone to come in and teach you. Um, There's a lot of us out there who can do that. If you run a a conference 
and you're paying someone, you know, 10 to 30 grand to come talk about fill in the blank. Like, can you invite someone with a disability? Can you invite someone to talk about disability? Um, you got to get real practical here and make, and make it happen. And then just let, when you meet someone in the church, if, we, if my family walks into your church to say, we're so glad you're here. And when you see my kids, you see them as image bearers of God and you see the assets that they bring because they have Down syndrome. And then you embrace that fully. Um, or when anyone walks into your church with a different ability, yeah, that you see them when they walk in, you see them as image bearers of God and you see that, that what they bring, right? You don't see the deficit. You see the thing, whatever it is, their wheelchair as an asset, the way that they talk as an asset, their lack of communication as an asset, whatever it is, knowing that um, they are an image bearer of God and we've got so much to learn from them. That's what I got, girl. Yep, absolutely. I mean, and you gave us like some, some real practical things that we can do. <laughs> yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Um, are your, are your kids up? Is that who I hear? Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, they were in a room watching a show and now, um, the show's over. And so they're singing songs as loud as, as so loud fun. as they can. They're so great. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Heather, I'm, I'm just so thankful, um, for you and your family and your work toward inclusion. Um, it's just, it's so important and necessary with where we are right now. Um, and I know, I mean, I have learned so much from you, so I know, um, everyone else out there is learning just as much. Um, thank you, Bailey. Thanks for this. I appreciate what you're doing too. Appreciate your voice in the space. (laughs) Wow. Just, wow. That's what I had when I got done talking with Heather, uh, when we recorded this. I mean, she is just, she's so smart. She has so much grace. She is such a good teacher and leader in this space of recognizing our privilege and learning how to not take up so much space and giving up some of that space to people who don't have it. Um, I think her work is incredibly important. Um, and it's hard. I mean, man, it is hard for those of us who have any sort of privilege. It is hard, but it is important and necessary, especially where we are right now, um, in our nation. So if you guys loved Heather as much as I do, and I know you did, go ahead and grab her books. Um, again, the lucky few and scoot over and make some room. I'm going to link both of those in the show notes, but I mean, they're everywhere. You can grab them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you find your books. Um, and then also I did want to mention that Heather does have a podcast as well. It's called the lucky few podcast. It's amazing. Uh, she has a couple of her friends who also have children with down syndrome on there. Um, and they just, They talk about Down syndrome and about people with different abilities and how to make space for them. Um, And it's a really amazing resource. It's um, a resource that I turn to uh, most often to learn about people with different abilities. Um, So if that's a space that you know you need to work in or you haven't really thought much about, that's a great place to start. Also, make sure to check out Heather on Instagram at the lucky few official and guys okay fine if you don't believe me 
that she is amazing on Instagram, ask her other like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. I'm serious. It's amazing. Go follow her as well. Um, and then of course, thanks so much for listening again, guys. Um, you guys mean so much to us here on the Making Room on the Pew podcast, and we absolutely love that you guys just keep showing up to learn alongside us and hear more every single week. So if you guys are enjoying this, if this is positively impacting you in any way, please just take a couple seconds and give us uh, honest rating and honest review. It means so much to us and it helps other people find this content too. So until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.